John Ziegler here. Excited to announce that we have our first sponsor of the Individual One podcast. Now, as you'd probably expect, I do not do endorsements unless I actually use the product. And I just started using this one. It's Imbue CBD. If you're a golf fan like I am, and you've probably read about how CBD is all the rage with all sorts of respected people raving about the various positive physical aspects of CBD, especially among people like me who are, let's face it, starting to feel the impact of aging. Recently, I started trying multiple products from Imbue CBD, and I can already tell that, among other things, I am for sure sleeping more soundly. And my wife says she loves the Imbue CBD facial cream, although, to be honest, she doesn't need it. In case you haven't heard, CBD is the powerful extract from the hemp version of cannabis. And while it may offer many of the health benefits of marijuana, there's no high, it's legal, and doesn't require a prescription. The source I trust for CBD is Imbue CBD. This is a top-of-the-line product and classy in every way. Consequently, Imbue CBD is not inexpensive, but I got you a discount to explore all the many ways CBD might be able to help you. Go to ImbueCBD.com and get 25% off when you enter John Z. Again, enter John Z for 25% off at IMBUECBD.com. That's ImbueCBD.com, promo code John Z. This is episode number 97. Of the Individual One podcast. For the record, individual number one is President Donald J. Trump. And I am your host, John Ziegler. We are broadcasting bravely from Los Angeles, California, and distributed internationally by the Global Story Network. This is the critically acclaimed program, which takes an honest and hard look at the presidency of Donald J. Trump from a conservative perspective, because unfortunately no one else is willing or able to tell the real truth about him. And unlike the corporate media, we here at the Individual One Podcast are most definitely not compromised or co-opted. Welcome to the program. Please subscribe, rate, review, and share it via social media. And follow us on Twitter at Individual One Pod. That's at Individual, the number one pod. We're calling episode number 97 Trump's Double Reverse on Coronavirus. He has made a second giant pivot He may even be preparing for a third. I'm going to get to that momentarily. And later on in this podcast, which may go a little bit longer than normal for obvious reasons, we're going to be playing an interview that I did a few days ago with my 77-year-old mother-in-law that you will not want to miss, especially since the narrative, especially now from the Trump supporters, is that older people are willing to die to preserve our way of life when it comes to coronavirus. So that'll be a little bit later on. First, though, I want to set the lay of the land as it currently stands with regard to coronavirus. And it is, as it has been, all about the data. And just to reiterate, because one of the many, many very frustrating aspects of of this crisis is that it is all data driven and the data we have is unreliable. It is inconsistent and it is bad, but it is getting better, not from the standpoint of how much damage is being done, but as far as being able to tell where we are and where this might be heading. As I have said, it has gotten much worse over the last several days. However, it was even worse than I anticipated that it would be for reasons that I will explain shortly. Internationally, this is almost entirely about Italy, Spain, and 
emerging the United States of America and specifically New York within America. Uh, But it is Italy, Spain, and New York, which are by far the three hottest spots, if you will, internationally, though there are other places in the world and in the United States which are getting worse on a daily basis. The Olympics have now been officially postponed to 2021. It might be one of the more uh, amazing testaments to just how pervasive and overwhelming the news coverage about coronavirus is that the postponement of an Olympics and uh, New England Patriots legend Tom Brady leaving the Patriots to go to the Tampa Bay Buccaneers have been fairly minor stories over the last week. But that's how large this whole thing is. Uh, As far as Italy and Spain, I have been uh, fooled a couple of times into thinking that Italy was improving. I was disturbed yesterday during the president, President Trump's press conference, to see Dr. Bricks, who was the female doctor. And I actually like her better than Dr. Fossey. Uh, One, because I I, I think she's a little bit more data-driven, but here's why this is going to be a strange John Ziegler reason for liking the female doctor better than the male doctor. Whenever you have a situation like this where someone becomes instantly hugely famous, as Dr. Fossey has, look out as a male. A male is not going to be able to handle instant fame as well as a female. Uh, the, the male is far more likely in the, at that age to become in love with their fame than the female is. And so I have more trust in Dr. Bricks, but she really disturbed me yesterday when she made a pronouncement that she was uh, feeling much better about the situation in Italy because uh, of the recent data over the last couple of days. I had noticed the same thing myself until yesterday. When she made that statement, it was almost as if she had not even seen the data from what is considered to be March 24th. Now, part of the problem, there are many problems with the data here, but one of the problems with the data is that the data is all determined by Greenwich Mean Time, which is uh, 5 p.m. here on the West Coast in the United States. And so, therefore, what counts for one day and what counts for another day can be a little bit confusing. But already by the time she made that statement, it was obvious that Italy was not still going on a downward trend, at least with regard to deaths and with regard to new cases. In fact, yesterday turned out to be the second worst day regarding deaths that Italy has had. And yet here we have Dr. Bricks uh, essentially celebrating progress in Italy. And what's interesting about the Italy numbers is that there's been like two or three times now where they have stabilized or even gone down a little bit before going back up. And this is even within the the time period that the entire country has been shut down. Italy and Spain have now gone past China with regard to total deaths. Uh, The United States is is probably going to pass China in total cases pretty soon. We are now over 60,000 cases in the United States, Thankfully, only about 800 deaths, which is much lower than other countries would based upon population. It's way lower than based uh, against other countries, specifically Italy. But when you compare number of cases to deaths, we're doing much, much better here in the United States, at least so far. But then even the number of deaths is increasing at a pretty significant rate and one that is alarming. Now, what's what's fascinating from a data standpoint about the United States is that you can look at this in two very, very different ways. You can look at this as New York 
as a preview for the rest of the country, which their governor, Governor Cuomo, has claimed is going to happen. Or you could look at New York as somehow being an outlier. If you look at New York as a preview, we are basically all screwed. If New York is a preview for the rest of the country, and I'm not saying it is or it isn't. I don't know enough to know. Uh, This is the the $64 million question at this point. Uh, But if it is a preview, as some people are claiming, as the alarmist crowd is absolutely saying, then we are going to have way more cases than anyone else in the rest of the world. And we are going to have thousands and thousands, who knows how many, more deaths over the next few weeks and months. And that there is no chance... If New York is a preview, that this thing is going away in any way, shape, or form, or forget about being going away, forget about even being under control in any semblance of reality over the next couple of weeks, because New York has exploded. New York is responsible for half, literally half of all the cases in the United States. If you include New Jersey, which you might as well, because northern New Jersey and New York City are essentially the same place. Uh, And since New Jersey has now taken second place among all of the cases in the United States, it is well over 50 percent. Now, if that is a preview of the rest of the country, uh, then, my gosh, uh, you know, we, we are in big, big, big trouble. Uh, uh, However, there is an argument to be made that New York could be an outlier here. Is there something that is different about New York than the rest of the country? Uh, Obviously, and it's amazing to me that this has not gotten more attention, that there is the the concentration of population, which is uh, understandable. Everybody understands New York City has by far the greatest uh, concentration of population uh, in the country. It's the largest city in the country, the largest uh, concentration, and it also has by far the most active public transportation system. It has a subway system that is antiquated and remarkably, remarkably, it is still open. You cannot be serious. I, I, I mean, it is astonishing to me. Now, this is going to sound contradictory because I have been someone who has been saying that uh, we might be going too far in some areas. What I'm trying to make the argument, which is too nuanced for this day and age where nuance is dead, is that in some areas of the country, we can be more lenient than in other areas of the country. And in other uh, other activities are far more dangerous than the some of the activities that are being cracked down on. Let me give you a very real world example. So currently, the United States of America allows New York City, its largest city, to continue to run a subway system, which it could, the data is indicating could be a freaking Petri dish for this situation. That's still going on. The subway system is still going on, but I am not allowed to take my children across the street to play in a playground in a county that currently has 39 cases and over 800,000 people. Really? Really? It's just flat out ridiculous. Uh, uh, can we be consistent? Can we can we make some semblance of common sense decisions here? Uh, if we're going to do this, if we are going to crack down on life, then let's do it. And and how New York? I mean, Governor Cuomo there is being praised. Oh, he's 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 such a leader. He's doing such a great job because he's he's doing a good job on television, and and because he's liberal, so all the liberals in the media love him. And this is now a New York story, and everything about uh, the media is New York focused. How in the world he's not getting ripped 
for the public transportation system being a, a huge uh, part of this problem is completely beyond me. And so there is a, an argument to be made. We don't know. Uh, there is an argument to be made that New York is indeed an outlier here. But there's a bigger problem with New York now, and that is that people are getting the hell out of New York and they're migrating all over the country, including into Florida and North Carolina and other places uh, within New York, Long Island, and they're taking the virus with them. And so that is going to cause another major problem. Uh, it, now, it's not just New York where this is exploding. Louisiana, which is the strangest state in the country, uh, is having an explosion in cases that I, I don't fully understand. I don't know whether no, how much of a problem that's going to be as far as containing it elsewhere. But this really right now is all about New York. If you were to take away New York, which is obviously you can't do, uh, New York is, is a huge part of this country. But it is from a statistical data standpoint, if you were to take away New York, right now the United States would be doing exceedingly well. If, if, if here in California, which we have shut down totally, we still have less than 3,000 cases for almost 40 million people. And we're now getting close to the point. This is where you can look at things two totally different directions. If New York is is a preview, then you know what? There's no argument to be made that this can be contained. If New York is not a preview, if it's an outlier, and if you presume, and this is a, an important presumption, it's not irrational, but it's hardly proven. If you presume that a lot of the cases in this week are coming because of increased testing and because of a backlog of bad data that's all being basically blown out right now. I mean, you, you've got a situation where you, you've had a panic for two or three weeks. Everyone who, who is sick is getting tested. We now have tests to test these people. We're here in California, a huge percentage of people are being tested, do not have the virus. In my county, it's about 5%. About 5% of those who get tested actually have the virus. But obviously, huge numbers of people have it all over the world. Prince Charles has now uh, tested positive for the coronavirus, which makes you think, my gosh, is there, are, these, are there hundreds of thousands, if not millions of people who have this, don't even realize it, maybe carrying it? Uh, or, 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 or had it uh, and didn't even feel like it was that big of a deal. And this herein lies, there's so many uh, questions and so many frustrating aspects of trying to interpret where we are and where we're going. But for me, I, I made an assumption, a couple of assumptions at the beginning of this, which may turn out to be flawed. Uh, they were based in logic at the time, but they may be very flawed, depending on how this all turns out. And, and the basic presumption that I made and the president of the United States made is that while this may not be exactly like the flu, this was in the ballpark of the flu, meaning as far as death rate, uh, how easy it is uh, to give it to somebody else, how uh, and, uh, and, and basically how many deaths we would have at the end of this. I have mentioned many times the, in, the comparison to the swine flu. Uh, 2010, 60 million people got it, 275,000 people were hospitalized, 12,500 people died, and no one seemed to care. Life went on. Uh, there, was, there was no massive media coverage. There was no massive change in life. And I have, I have made that assumption that we were in the ballpark of this being like the flu, partially because of how well the Asian countries did. 
I mean, China basically has no issue. Well, not no issue, but almost no issue now. Uh, uh, South Korea shut this thing off uh, amazingly well. Uh, Japan, uh, Singapore, uh, other Asian countries have have largely dodged the bullet here. And uh, so I thought, okay, I realized that they used draconian measures, uh, but they're also they were also at a disadvantage because that's where this started. They didn't have a heads up, uh, and yet. Somehow they were able to get through this in a fairly short period of time. So that felt like something that was manageable. That felt something like something at least in the ballpark of the flu. But what we're seeing in Italy, what we're seeing in Spain, and what we're seeing here in New York is not like the flu. It is much worse than the flu in virtually every Matrix. Now, is there, and we're not allowed to talk about this kind of stuff anymore, but is it possible that there's a genetic element to this issue? I mean, is it possible that Asians somehow were more immune to this for for whatever reason, and that people uh, of a Mediterranean descent are not uh, as immune to this? I mean, these are questions that have no answers right now, but the, eventually, I think we're going to probably find out about it. Whether or not you're allowed to report it is another issue entirely. But I am now, as I'm looking at the data on a, like, heck, I look at the data every freaking 15 minutes because I got not much else to do as I'm housed with my, uh, my, my kids and my, and my wife. As long as the, you know, we're not killing each other, we feel like we're succeeding. Uh, I'm looking at the data constantly. And I am starting to go to the, to the perspective of this is not in the ballpark of the flu. We don't know that yet. At least here in the United States, the New York question is everything. The New York question is everything. Is it an outlier or is it a preview? And we don't know that yet. I think there's a decent argument to be made on both sides. But with regard to the president, President Trump has decided to make a massive second pivot. If we recall... If you have a longer memory than a Fox News Channel host or a commentator, you remember that at the beginning of this, Trump downplayed this remarkably. This was not a big deal. It was under control. It's just the flu. We contained it here in the United States. He even used the word hoax, at least somewhat in relationship to the coronavirus. Correct. And that was going to be his take. And it was going to be his take because he's running for re-election and he doesn't want anything to potentially cause a hiccup to the economy. And he's going to, to take that. That's the, his narrative. His narrative is this is not a big deal. Well, once that narrative became completely politically untenable because the whole world broke loose, all, all went to, to hell. People went crazy. Everything got canceled. The Masters, the NCAA basketball tournament, uh, all schools, uh, every uh, Democratic governor shut down their state. It was no longer possible for him to pretend that this was not a big deal. And it is a big deal. How big a deal, I still don't know for sure we know when this is all said and done, whether it's going to be nearly as big as we're fearing. We don't know that yet. I get that we have to prepare sometimes for the worst case scenarios, but you also don't necessarily destroy yourself based upon the worst case scenario when that scenario is not very likely. But Trump made a massive pivot. He went from this is no big deal to I'm a wartime president. Correct. With enormous powers to combat the most destructive 
and most difficult domestic challenge we have ever faced in the history of our country. That was Trump's view. Just a couple of days ago, he said this is the worst thing that's ever happened in the history of humanity. That's a pretty close, not a direct quote, but it's a pretty good paraphrase. And so he he even said that we might not get through this until July or August. Correct. So, So he went from this is nothing to, you know what, some people are saying July or August, and I'm a wartime president, and I'm devoting everything to combating this, and we need the biggest stimulus package in the history of the country, and, and that was his narrative. And I, went, I actually gave him praise from a political standpoint, from a political standpoint, even though I vehemently disagree with how much he was embracing, for instance, the shutdown here in California, his new best buddy, Gavin Newsom, uh, you know, of course, who was once married to his son's fiance, which is another bizarre aspect of this whole thing. But you know, he's embracing the, these nanny state fascist decisions by a lot of these very liberal governors. And that bothered me. But from a political standpoint, I thought this was smart. This was his one shot to survive this politically, to use it to his, his advantage, to turn into the curve and say, you know what? I'm a wartime president, and now I'm going to give every single voter in an election year, plus their children, $1,200, essentially in my name. Boy, that's that's you know that's not a that's not a terrible thing for a presidential candidate to be able to do. Correct. And so, uh, if you're looking at this from Trump's political perspective, that made sense. But then, in the last few days, clearly, Trump. Uh, had a light bulb go off over his head, and he realized, essentially, because his buddies in business have been calling him frantically, saying, uh, Mr. President, the economy is going to go into deep recession, if not depression, if we are shut down for the next couple of months. And Trump, I think, realized, one, uh, that means that my shot at re-election is going to be basically done. Because even though his approval ratings are hanging remarkably high right now, I mean, just shockingly high based upon the reality of this situation and and how much responsibility he should be taking for this. uh, We'll get to that momentarily. But uh, it's not just his reelection. It's also, of course, his own personal economic situation. He happens to be the owner of an enterprise that is 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 particularly vulnerable, given the fact that it's mostly golf courses and hotels, particularly vulnerable to what is going on. And he knows this. This is this is not something that has escaped his attention. It is not coincidental. So he has all of his buddies saying we're going down in flames economically. He knows that Trump Enterprises is going down in flames economically. Uh, and so he makes a massive pivot. And he does so via tweets and a couple statements at uh, press conferences indicating that, you know what, uh, we may get back to business at the first part of April. And, you know, this was particularly uh, stunning to me because I'm somebody who has been on the more cynical side of interpreting our reaction here. You know, what, what's too hot? What's too cold? I have never even though I've been accused of it, never been someone who says we shouldn't take this seriously or we shouldn't do anything at all. I've been in favor of doing things that actually make sense, that don't cause massive uh, counter problems, counterproductive issues that uh, that actually 
go after the problem, that aren't about virtue signaling, that don't set horrible precedents for the future. In other words, using our brain, using our common sense. And it felt to me like we were going way, way beyond that. So in theory, I'm somebody who should embrace what Trump is saying. However, I don't. And I don't largely because it's too late. It is too late for Trump to do what he's doing. It, for, forget about the, the hypocrisy part of this. That he, you, know, you, you usually only get one mulligan, you know, as, use a golf term. Uh, he's, he's now taking a second mulligan on the path that he's taking, and he's taking a path that might have worked. It might have worked if he had done it from the beginning, but he can't do it now for reasons that I will explain in a second. But I first, I want to play a clip because this, this kind of illustrates uh, my, my personal uh, conundrum because the president essentially quoted something that I've said numerous times on this podcast. I'm sure he wasn't quoting the, the podcast itself because I doubt that he is a listener to the Individual One podcast. Correct. But uh, he did say something that I've said many times, which I think is a rational thing to say and would have been a rational thing to say maybe a month ago. But it is no longer effective, partially because of the, the fact that he already took the, the very different position that this is the, the biggest challenge we've ever faced in our lives. And this is going to be a huge deal. and It's going to be with us till July or August. He actually used the analogy of, OK, we don't shut down our roads. We don't ban all car travel, even though doing so would save us 100 lives a day here in the United States. And here was Trump, one of the many times in which he has tried to make this argument over the last couple of days. You look at uh, automobile accidents, which are far greater than any numbers we're talking about. That doesn't mean we're going to tell everybody no more driving of cars. So we we have to do things uh, to get our country open. Well, here's the problem. (laughs) <laughs> and this is classic Trump timing over the last couple of days. That's no longer factually true because we have now been getting more than 100 deaths a day. That has happened now for the last couple of days. It appears as if it's going to happen again today and it will probably continue to happen for who knows how long, but at least the next few days and weeks, if not longer than that. And we might end up getting numbers uh, uh, of people dying on a daily basis that is significantly more than die in car accidents every single day. So that's the first problem. It's no longer factually correct. But the bigger problem is the, the, the order in which this has happened, the timing, and the fact that Trump has now lost the expectations game. If, and this, this would have been difficult, especially for Trump, because he's not good at this, he doesn't have the trust of the American people, he's not honest, uh, but if in a pretend world, if he had come forward at the beginning of this and said uh, to the American people, look, uh, this is going to be bad. We don't know how bad, but we know it's going to be bad. Uh, a lot of Americans are going to get this. A lot of Mar- Americans are going to die. Uh, many older Americans are going to die. Many people uh, who with underlying health conditions are going to die. Uh, we are going to try to do everything we possibly can to educate people and to mitigate this as much as we possibly can. However, uh, we also understand that America is unique and that our way of life is unique and that our way of life will be threatened, if not destroyed, if we shut everything down for the period of time that it would take for us to eliminate all real medical health damage from this. And so we need to make a cost-benefit analysis as a nation. 
And uh, as your leader, I believe in America. I believe that there's going to be enormous amounts of collateral damage if we shut everything down, not just from an economic standpoint, but also from a health perspective. There's going to be increase in suicides and depression and alcoholism and domestic violence and murders, uh, drug use, all sorts of things just like that. And so, you know, that could then be the issue of the the cure can't be worse uh, than the virus itself. If he had done all that at the beginning and rallied the country to meet this challenge and, you know, prepare for the worst, hope for the best, but realize realistically this is going to be bad, I think that could have worked. Now, 2020 is hindsight, but I, I, I was saying that pretty much from the beginning of this whole thing. Uh, he underestimated at the beginning. I believe he, he bought into people who were potentially overestimating it. Uh, for the last couple of weeks, and now he's trying to go back. And it's funny to me that he uses the car analogy because, you know, as someone uh, before Google Maps uh, and we had uh, cell phones, I I used to get lost a lot uh, driving because I've driven all over the country. And one of the things you you realize when you, you get lost is that it's really dumb to keep making decisions once you're lost based upon where you started or where you were. You make decisions based upon where you currently are. If you're, you know, you don't, if you're trying to get from point A to, to point B and you end up in, in point uh, A1 and it's nowhere near point B, you determine how to get to point B from where you currently are at A1, not where you started. And Trump is lost and he doesn't want to ask for directions and he's pretending we can go back to point A. You can't go back to point A. You already picked a lane and you spent several weeks on that lane. By the way, then you shifted to another lane and now you're going backwards. And that can't work because he's lost the expectations game. And let me give you a classic example of how Trump has lost the expectations game. Perspective is everything in this situation because we've never dealt with it before. People are really bad at numbers and they don't understand the realities of life. They don't understand how many people die in a normal course of events. Last night I'm watching MSNBC, don't ask me why, but uh, I'm watching Brian Williams interview the governor of New Jersey. And the governor of New Jersey, which is now number two as far as the number of cases, basically because uh, northern New Jersey essentially is a suburb of New York City, the governor of New Jersey says that we have lost 44 souls because of the coronavirus, and that's 44 too many. Really? Really? A a state the size of New Jersey, it's one of the larger states in the country. I don't know how many people, but it's got to be at least 10 million people. You you lose 44 people over a several-week period of time almost all of whom are older and or have medical conditions. And that's not an acceptable number for a, a, an unforeseen natural phenomenon that is coming during flu season. That, that's amazing to me. That's, it's really quite... It's just flat out ridiculous. I, I mean, but, but that's where we are now. See, that to me says, okay, game, set, match. That's game, set, match. Because... And this does actually go back to the car analogy. You know, prior to all this, people would have gone, well, yeah, that makes that makes some sense. You know, 100 people a day die and we don't shut down all car traffic. But now we've compartmentalized this whole thing to where a fairly small number of deaths is now completely unacceptable. 
even when those deaths are coming in, in the realm of a, of a demographic where a lot of these people, some people are dying of corona, with coronavirus, and it's not even the cause of death. And I'm not trying to downplay this. I'm just trying to tell you what the truth is. And, and so, in my view, from a practical standpoint, Trump is going back to what might have been a, a feasible path here, but he's doing it too late. Because now the expectations are all off. We're all looking at these numbers on an hourly and daily basis. And, and now, you know, soon we're going to go over 1,000 deaths. We are soon, it might be in the next day or two, we're going to go over 1,000 deaths as a nation. And people are going to continue to go crazy over this. You know, this is, this, you know, 1,000 deaths in a country of 330 million people over a month's period of time is is not a catastrophic event. Now, I realize that if it continues to exponentially grow uh, unabated, then, yeah, you're talking about a massive, massive event. But the, there are still people who routinely claim we're going to lose millions of people here. And I just think, wait, that is not how, where, based on what? Uh, and, and I realized part of my confidence here was because of how Asia handled this. Uh, and, and because they didn't come anywhere near. I mean, it, in the end of this thing, China might end up having among the least amount of damage as far as deaths and uh, and even from an economic standpoint, which is really quite, a, quite remarkable. And who knows exactly why? I've already posited one potential theory there. But, but the, real, the reality here, here is there is no chance we're going to get to these worst numbers because we are doing things which we should be doing. Social distancing, canceling events, canceling school I'm okay with. Uh, you know, there, there are all sorts of things we are doing which should, at least in theory, eventually stop the spread of this thing. Now, there are other assumptions that have been made that haven't really turned out very well. I, I'm very concerned, you know, that, that Florida's numbers are increasing. Now, Florida has been a little bit more lax than other states, and I'm sure the liberals will claim that that's why their numbers are starting to expand. But one of the theories here was that the heat was going to stop this, that once spring hit, uh, that, you know, we were going to be saved. Well, OK, well, then how do you explain Florida? Now, I realize it's not just heat. It's the it's the length of the day, because apparently sunlight is 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 an enemy of this virus. And so as the days get longer, in theory, that will help. But there are absolutely elements of the data that are very, very troubling. And despite all this, Trump now has created this new narrative of we've got to go on. We've got to go on with life and we're going to get our economy back in gear. And he he interestingly, he's already backed off of this a little bit. Because I wrote a column, which I hope you'll check out at Individual One Pod, uh, saying that Trump has now set up a massive war between the red states and the blue states here, essentially urban versus rural America, because the red states are going to follow him. The blue states are not only not going to follow him, I believe they're going to crack down more just to show the world how against Trump they are. Like, I think we're going to get punished more here in California as a way of of uh, our governor showing Trump how wrong he is that we can't go back to business. But Trump's original statements about going back to business indicated the first couple of days of April, which even I think is ludicrous because we're about to get more and more horrible data. We still don't know whether or not that data 
is going to improve once the increased testing diminishes and once we get the, rid of this backlog of two or three weeks of cases, the, the, the lag time from the time someone actually gets the virus to the time they become a statistic, especially if they happen to die. We don't know that, but there is no chance, there is no realistic chance that this thing is under control uh, from a, statistic, a statistical standpoint in early April. Well, he's already backed off of that a little bit by about a week or 10 days. Now he's targeting Easter. And yesterday during a Fox News Channel town hall, basically state-run media, uh, Trump appealing to the, the most ardent elements of his base, which is essentially Christians and evangelical Christians, with Easter coming up, he has decided that that should be our target for getting back to biz here in America. So I think Easter Sunday, and you'll have packed churches all over our country, I think it would be a beautiful time. And it's just about the timeline that I think is right. It gives us more chance to work on what we're doing. And I'm not sure that's going to be the day, but I would love to aim it right at Easter Sunday. So we're open for church service and services generally on Easter Sunday. That would be a beautiful thing. Now, that is a couple of weeks away. And uh, what makes me very nervous about that is that here's a decision that's clearly being motivated by political reasons, for political reasons. I mean, this is his base. And he's also, I think, trying to latch on to this idea that that somehow God is on our side and that if we do this by Easter, it's it's showing uh, some sort of uh, of evidence that God has helped uh, America resurrect from this horrible situation and that he wants life to go back to normal for the people who are going to be voting for him and that are supporting him because that's his base. That Now, the fact that that would even be part of a decision that's as big as this is incredibly troubling. But I'm still even more troubled by the fact that I do believe we're heading for essentially a civil war. It might not be, hopefully, uh, immediately uh, anything like our first civil war, but a cultural civil war here between the red states and the blue states. Because when the president says, let's get back to work, uh, you know, the red states are going to buy that. The red states are going to go for that. They're, they're already starting to create this narrative of we, we need to take risks to save America. We have to even be willing to die as old people to save America. The blue states aren't going to go for that. The, the blue states are not going to go for that at all. And presidential authority is going to be questioned. Uh, there, there's going to be all sorts of conflicts here. Trump is already threatening the states with saying, hey, look, if you don't treat us well, we're not going to treat you well. I mean, this has all sorts of potential for for disaster from almost every possible aspect. And it appears as if there is now a deal uh, for a $2 trillion stimulus package. The stock market is going bananas in, in a positive direction because of this. Last I checked, it is well over 1,000 points up on the Dow today, over 2,000 yesterday. I have said previously I thought that the stock market was oversold. Now I think that the stock market is way over optimistic. I, I think this is premature. I mean, heck, we don't even 100% have a deal yet, uh, although it looks like we're going to have one. Uh, you know, Bernie Sanders is not going to be the Democratic presidential nominee, but Bernie Sanders, is, even though he's going to complain about this deal because it's got too much corporate handouts, Bernie Sanders could never have dreamed of doing some of the things if he had become president that are in this $2 trillion stimulus package. I mean, first of all, $1,200 to every American? 
who makes under $100,000. I don't even know, by the way, how you determine who gets this money. Uh, one of the great ironies, which I have not seen any media coverage about at all, is whether or not illegal immigrants are getting this money, uh, which I presume they must be, because otherwise this would be a massive controversy. Although I don't know how you identify how you get the money to illegal immigrants, because that's a, a, a logistical uh, problem. But here you have the, the Donald Trump who got elected essentially uh, demonizing illegal immigrants and saying we're going to build a wall. And now he's going to use government money um, to, to pay each and every illegal immigrant in this country, at least the ones that we can find, $1,200? Uh, and, the, and the Trump base is just going to go, oh, sure, that sounds great to me. I mean, come on, really? I love the poorly educated. I mean, there's so many problems with this. I mean, as a, a conservative libertarian, this is government overtaking our lives. We now owe our lives even more to the government than we ever did before. Uh, the economy is now being propped up by the government. Uh, Trump himself has a massive conflict of interest in all of this because of the fact that his properties are so in jeopardy by this uh, central worldwide shutdown. Now, it is interesting to point out that uh, apparently in the stimulus package, there is a provision preventing uh, the president, the vice president, cabinet officials and people like that and members of their family from getting any direct payment from uh, this bailout. I, obviously, that was at least partially uh, targeted at Trump. It's interesting that uh, Trump apparently has not objected to that. But in the bigger picture, Trump needs business back open. I mean, if Trump had made all of his money, <laughs> I mean this somewhat facetiously, if Trump had made all of his money uh, doing a business that did nothing but that uh, pizza delivery, he might be perfectly fine with the shutdown because he'd be making a mint based upon the current circumstances. But his business is as vulnerable as any to what is currently the shutting down of America and of the world. So, you know, I, I, I am, it's funny, uh, you know, I'm actually more pessimistic than I have been over the last couple of days. And I think that we are over, overreaching now with regard to how quickly we can get back and as well as how optimistic the stock market is. No one would like to see the stock market improve more than me, partially because, uh, you know, the, the woman that we're about to, to hear from, my, my mother-in-law, is married to a guy who is heavily, heavily invested in the stock market. And his health is probably more directly related to what the stock market is doing than what the coronavirus is doing. Before we get to her, though, I want to at least mention one of the strangest tweets that Donald Trump has ever made. And he's done a lot of strange tweets. I mean, yesterday, my gosh, in the middle of a crisis, he, he promoted a book by one of his right-wing sycophants, uh, Charlie Kirk, uh, telling people to buy a book. I mean, the president of the United States would never have done that previously, especially not in the middle of a crisis. But this is Donald Trump. But Donald Trump tweeted about Mitt Romney testing negative for the coronavirus today. This was after a couple of days ago. He very, very sarcastically and, and, and with derision dripping from his voice when he was told that Romney had, uh, had uh, gone into quarantine because he had had lunch with Rand Paul, who tested positive, uh, Trump basically said, oh, really, that's too bad. I mean, it, it was obvious that Trump was thrilled that uh, Romney was in quarantine. So it gets released that Romney has tested negative for the coronavirus, and Trump actually tweets the following. I mean, this is amazing. I really do believe, and I, I tweeted this, that you could write a book about just this one tweet. There is so much to unpack here. I'm not even going to have enough time to unpack it all here. He writes, this is really great news, exclamation point. I am so happy I can barely speak. He may have 
been a terrible presidential candidate and an even worse senator. But he is a rhino, meaning Republican in name only, comma, and I like him a lot, exclamation point. This is the president of the United States tweeting the news that Mitt Romney, who voted to impeach him and remove him from office, has tested negative for the coronavirus. Now, I am, honestly, I'm not even 100% sure how to interpret some of this. Is the, is the part where it says, this is really great news, exclamation point, I'm so happy I can barely speak, is that him being sarcastic because he had received criticism for having been derisive of Romney when he learned that Romney was in quarantine? My instincts tell me, yeah, that's what he's doing there. And then he attacks Romney by saying he's a terrible presidential candidate and an even worse senator, because obviously he voted to impeach and convict Donald Trump. But he is a rhino. So, but he is a rhino. So the but in in the English language means you're going in another direction. You're saying, these are the qualities about him I like, right? You're saying he may have been terrible presidential candidate, even more senator, but he's a rhino. And I like him a lot. But a rhino is a, is a negative term as a Republican. Republican in name only means that you're not really a Republican, which, of course, is what Trump is. So this whole, th- I mean, it's just, it's just so crazy. It's, it, you just cannot make it up. I mean, it's just flat out ridiculous. But this is Donald Trump. And this is what he has time to do while uh, fighting the, the greatest challenge uh, domestically in the history uh, of the United States, at least, uh, at least what we were told. Now, I mentioned this right-wing talking point that's emerging very, very quickly because they must do the bidding for the king. And it's happening all over the place, including my, my uh, I guess you still call him a friend, uh, Glenn Beck uh, got a lot of publicity for, for going in this direction yesterday, talking about how old people should be willing to die to save America. Well, I spoke to uh, an old person, uh, a se- my 77-year-old mother-in-law, her name is uh, Valerie, and uh, this was a couple of days ago, and we talked about uh, her perspective as someone who was in the target demographic of those who we are trying to protect. And this is a fascinating interview from a number of different perspectives. And then we will follow that up with uh, our interview with Tom Bauer, the founder of our sponsor of this podcast, Imbue CBD. And then we'll come back with some analysis of the current political situation. So, Val, how are you and your husband doing with the quarantine life? Oh, well, we're just staying home and doing what we're told. <laughs> um, Wait a minute. You, know, you, you, a you, you, you are doing what you're told? I'm, I'm, this is new information to me. <laughs> we were trying to, John. But uh, Jan got sick and he ended up in the hospital, so I had to take him down there in the middle of the night. And so, yes, life has been interesting. Well, that's part of why I wanted to speak to you, because uh, it was only a week ago, although it seems it must seem like a lot longer than that. It does for me. Uh, But a week ago, uh, your husband, who is 80 years old, had to have surgery for something completely unrelated to coronavirus. And uh, and you were actually uh, um, there was an attempt made to keep you from visiting him in the hospital. Is that correct? Because of your age, because of your age and the restrictions put out there by the governor that no one over the age of 65 was supposed to be out. So so tell me what happened when you tried to visit your husband in the hospital. Well, they tried to stop me. Uh, told me I couldn't go in. Because you so. now now you're 77 years old 
and mm-hmm. and your husband is 80. So they tried to stop you from visiting your husband in the hospital because of this this edict. Coronavirus. Right, the edict mm-hmm. from the governor, Governor Newsom here in California, uh, from for preventing anyone from over the age of 65 from going outside. So what did you do? I lied. <laughs> <laughs> So you're 77 years old, and and you lied about your age. What did you tell them? I told them I was 63. 60, good for you. So you told them you were 63, and do you think they bought it? I don't know whether they did, but I kept on walking, John, because they were not going to stop me from seeing my husband. Well, that's I, I have no problem knowing you uh, envisioning that scenario. And what what I love about what you did was, see, they were preventing you because they were afraid of the governor's edict because they're a bunch of wimps. But then you use their wimpiness against them because they were also too wimpy to call you on your lie about your age. Well, I don't know. I mean, if you lie well, you just get through. But... <laughs> You know, uh, when when there's a stupid rule, you just break the rule, which I don't usually break rules. But when there's stupid rules, people break the rules. All right. Well, and and so I was glad that you did that, because obviously you should be able to see your 80 year old husband in the hospital after pretty significant surgery. Mm-hmm. Now, now he is back home with you. You are somewhat. Uh, abiding by the rules of quarantine life, although for some reason you guys went outside the other night and it was a disaster. Uh, you want to talk about that or you want to explain what the heck happened there? Oh, well, we were just trying to move the car because the battery had gone flat. And uh, then we ended up with a flat battery and had to call the AAA. <laughs> so here you are, you're, you're 77 and 80 years old. Uh, your husband's in, in not good health. He's got breathing problems as it is. And you're outside in violation of quarantine, and the car breaks down. Mm-hmm. Uh, now, uh, you know, so you you then had to be interacting with a whole bunch of people, didn't you? I mean, we're, I mean, there wasn't this. Tried a... very hard not to interact with anybody. Uh huh. But we were trying to follow the rules, but we had to have AAA come and fetch us, and they had to tow the car down to the mechanic. Uh, the mechanic was closed, so we just parked the car there after towing it. And then um, we had to call my son-in-law and beg him to give us a ride home. And and did your son-in-law? Yes. Well, he, he's we a... sat in the back, and we tried not to breathe on each other, <laughs> and then he just dropped us at our house. Okay. Well, and, and for the record, while I'm also your son-in-law, I live much further away, so that's why you didn't call me, right? That's Okay, I just want to make I want to make I want to make it clear that uh, that somehow you didn't have faith in in me as your son-in-law to come get you. Oh uh, well, you don't live too close. You're far away. <laughs> well, actually, you live only a couple miles from where we're doing this interview, but we can't be in in the same room together because that would be a violation of uh, of quarantine. <laughs> but so so Val, as as a seventy-seven-year-old who is in the target demographic of who we're trying to protect here, and obviously your husband is even more so since mm-hmm. he's eighty years old. He's a man and he's got breathing issues and underlying health problems. Uh, what is your level of, of fear in comparison to what is perceived to be the level of fear of the rest of the public here in California? Well, my, my level of fear is I don't fear death because I'm at the age where I am lucky to catch anything. And I probably would die of something other than the coronavirus. 
any any sort of health issue uh, could maybe you know result in either one, either my husband or myself dying. So what and, do you go ahead? Well, that's why I think that the elderly population should be told that they are the ones that should be um, quarantined, and and they should self isolate. You know, in order that you know we don't become uh, ill with the virus. And we should follow all the rules. But I don't see why the rest of uh, society should shut down so that um, we can be safe. So you're suggesting, as someone in this target demographic that we're trying to protect, I mean, you could not be more in this demographic, you and your husband. Uh, and by the way, I, I hear, your, I hear uh, your husband talking in the background. Is he trying to advise you on what to say and not say? No, I won't let him. Okay. <laughs> I didn't. I didn't think so. All right. that, that's the Valerie I know. Um, okay, so so it's your belief that we ought to be uh, doing this in in a, a systematic fashion rather than widespread. That the the people that are most vulnerable, those are the people whose lives should be completely restricted, and not and not everybody else. Yes. Uh, yes. Okay, well, what, what about the fact then that you wouldn't be able to see your grandkids for, for the duration of this? Which, you're, well, which, by the way, you're probably not going to be able to anyway. Well, uh, I, if, my grand, if I'm being isolated, that doesn't mean to say that all the grandchildren should be isolated. They should continue with their activities. Because, and, and they should just, in, I think what should happen is they should increase the testing so that anybody that is ill is being... Uh, isolated now, because even the healthy elderly will probably recover. Well, now, see, see what you just said there is blasphemy because, you know, we're, we're supposed to believe that this is the, the worst uh, uh, medical catastrophe that has ever happened. And if you catch this, especially as an old person, it's basically a death sentence. It doesn't seem to be the truth. But, and what are you basing that on, Val? What, what are you now? People should know that you are a Fox News viewer, right? And you are a Trump fan. So, how much is that uh, playing into your perception of this being overblown? I don't think that it has anything to do with a particular uh, whether you're uh, a Trump fan or whether you're. Uh, I, I mean, it just doesn't matter. A health issue is a health issue. But it's so you, got nothing to do with. Um, whether you're Republican, Democrat, or whatever you happen to be, it doesn't matter. So you believe that not only is our uh, is our reaction overblown, but you think that the fear is overblown. You you don't. It's not even a, it's not even a matter of you saying, well, let's let basically all the old people die because we're going to no. uh, that we're going to because you're going to die soon anyway. Uh, you're you're saying that you think that the actual fear of this is overblown. It's far overblown. I think that the numbers should be checked by America. I do not believe that all these people that they're telling us are dying are dying of this particular virus. I do believe a lot of people around the world, it was a very, very bad flu season, and we've had those before. We haven't compared the numbers of the flu deaths to the deaths from corona. And... Um, I don't believe that we've had any any good um, numbers out of China. I don't believe that all of a sudden they don't have any new cases. If this was that virulent, they've surely got new cases, and they're not telling us the truth. 
Okay, but it sounds to me like you're you're making two different arguments. I mean, if China's not telling us the truth and they don't really have things under control, shouldn't that be cause for worry? Well, we can worry, but I don't think that you can isolate the world. Um, I, I mean, you know, America is usually very, very honest, and I think we should just increase our testing. Don't shut everything down. You cannot isolate everybody with a virus because you don't know where the virus is. And I think that we, my problem is, how do you get things running again? You well, know, we're trying to shut down the whole country. We're shutting down factories. We're shutting down every little business. All these businesses, all the, the little businesses are all shutting down very, very fast because they can't maintain the business without uh, a normal society. And I think we'll cause more problems for society by shutting everything down than if we had just continued and isolated the, the, um, the elderly. And as soon as we find cases with the virus, we isolate those. Now, I mean this question uh, somewhat facetiously, but not 100% facetiously. Uh, your, your, your husband is heavily invested in the stock market. He's been a stock guy his whole life. Uh, if a few weeks ago your husband had been given the choice, uh, either uh, the stock market is going to crash due to a massive overreaction or potential overreaction to the coronavirus, or the stock market will not be impacted, but he will die of the coronavirus, which would your husband have chosen? Oh, gosh, I don't honestly know. <laughs> it would have been a tough call, right? It's a tough call. <laughs> he, did, he didn't sell anything. He didn't panic. Uh, he never panics. I, underst I understand know, everything that. She'll just go. In fact, if the stock market goes down, he's quite sure it'll go up again. Well, I'm not as sure it's going to happen anytime uh, soon. I think it's actually going to go down further. But I, my, my point is that the the uh, stock market crash may have a, a much greater impact on your husband's health than the coronavirus will. Well, that's true. <laughs> now, <laughs> and, and another thing that's going to have a, a greater impact, potentially, hopefully, assuming you don't get the coronavirus and you don't go outside and, and have your car uh, shut down on you again, um, is is this issue of being under house arrest and quarantine for at least a month. Tell me, Val, based upon your 77 years of experience, and you've lived all over the world, you've, you've, you've lived a full life, mm -hmm. uh, you've seen a lot of things. How do you think that you guys in particular and society in general is going to handle, and we're only a few days into this, um, at least a month of a full shutdown from a psychological standpoint, how do you think we're going to handle that? I don't think anybody's handling it very well even now. Anybody with small children are going nuts because the children are locked up inside. We're going to have more accidents from children being locked up inside and parents who are going nuts because the children can't run outside. Um, I think that uh, we just need to get society running as usual and just do more testing. Just well, keep well, on testing. well, you know, the, the, the Trump critics would say the reason why we don't have enough tests is because of your president, Donald Trump. How, how do you respond to that? I don't know that I could blame any president. I don't think anybody can be in charge of everything. I don't think the government should be in charge of everything. 
but I do think that uh, they're going, they're trying to do it as quickly as they can. Mm-hmm. Um, so, so tell me from a societal standpoint, how bad do you think this is going to get? I mean, assuming we are, we stay on this track and, and we shut everything down for at least a month. I mean, I'm, I, don't, I'm, I don't think you'll ever get all the small businesses coming back. Some small businesses close within right. a week. Right. I, I understand that. I agree with that. And that's going to be devastating. But I'm talking about from a societal, cultural standpoint. At a point of view? I, I, I'm, I'm actually more concerned about how we're going to break apart as a society in the next month than I am everyone getting the coronavirus and dying. Mm-hmm. Do you agree with that concern? Yes. Mm-hmm. I mean, how, do you have a sense of how bad you think it's going to get? Well, this distancing from people is, is a wrong move because... Um, we are trying to bring society together. We're not trying to separate society. Uh, it's bad, and we're losing out on all sorts of fronts. It, you know, education-wise, all these children are out of school. We can't make up for it. Mm-hmm. Um, and is this, you know, let, let's face it, I mean, look, I'm, I'm still hopeful that you and Jan still have uh, uh, at least a few more years uh, of good life left in you. But do you want to be spending those few years you have left in this kind of a situation no you, you don't think it's worth it well at what point do you own my i have to own my own condition i think you know people have to be warned but you can't panic right. uh government isn't in charge of my destiny i am wow that's a that's a Radical thought, uh, and, and one I'm glad you shared with us. Uh, Val, is there anything else you want to uh, say about this whole situation? Well, just that um, it's creating world panic, I think, and that has its consequences. I mean, the consequences of children not going to school means that there's nothing, there's no learning taking place. I think it's, it's actually quite dangerous to lock people up and say you can't go out and you cannot do this and you cannot do that. Children, young adults, they've got to exercise, they've got to get out, and they've got to, you know, deal with people. You can't lock people up for any extended period of time. Well, Val, thank you so much for uh, sharing your, your, your wisdom with us. Uh, please stay inside and stay safe, and uh, I'm sure we'll talk to you again soon. Okay. Thank you, John. Tom, thanks so much for joining us and for your sponsorship of the program. Please uh, tell our listeners a little bit about your company, Imbue Botanicals. Sure, John. Imbue Botanicals produces really the most extensive line of premium clinical-grade full-spectrum CBD products, including tinctures, capsules, topical lotions and salves, and even award-winning beauty products. They're available in multiple strengths for both people as well as pets. Our premium Colorado-grown hemp products are non-GMO, cruelty-free, and even vegan. Now, a lot of people might not be that familiar yet with CBD. It's getting a lot of publicity. But for those who aren't, what is CBD and why do you guys think it's so important? CBD is short for cannabidiol. It's one of the 115 or so cannabinoids that are found in the cannabis plant. It's generally accepted as the cannabinoid or the element, basically, that provides the health benefits for cannabis. But science has shown really that CBD works best when combined with all the other cannabinoids and the natural terpenes that are found naturally in the plant, which is why our products are full spectrum, meaning they offer a full cadre of all the cannabinoids and terpenes for maximum effectiveness. Now, Tom, you mentioned that Imbue uses hemp. Tell our audience, if you will, the difference between hemp and marijuana, and why your product is not the latter. 
great. John, it's really important to understand this. You know, we're all familiar with medical marijuana. Our products are, are not made from marijuana. They're actually made from hemp. Basically, hemp and marijuana are both the cannabis sativa plant. The difference is that hemp contains extremely low levels of THC, which is the cannabinoid that makes you high when you ingest or smoke marijuana. By law, hemp must contain 0.3% or less of THC by dry weight. So, so low, basically, that you can't get high from the product. So, in essence, basically, with hemp, you get all the health benefits of medical marijuana without the high or the psychoactive effect of THC. I should also add here that Congress last year passed the 2018 Farm Bill, which essentially legalized hemp federally and descheduled all the non-THC cannabinoids. So essentially, it's, it's, uh, it's legal, which obviously people want to know. Is, you know, can, can I buy it? Can I use it? It's legal. Now, when, when I use it, it's really helped my sleeping. I've only just started using uh, some of your products. But tell us, uh, what are some of the benefits that our listeners might find if they, if they use Imbue Botanical products? Really great question, John. We're actually not allowed to make claims about CBD or products per the FDA. Just an aside, if your listeners come across sites out there that are making health claims, we should always just avoid them. Just You don't want to deal with, with folks like that. It's, it's not legal to do that. But that doesn't mean that there aren't health benefits to CBD. We at MBU Botanicals always encourage our customers to do their own research. There is a ton of information and studies available on the Internet. You want to talk to your physician, your independent pharmacist, even your veterinarian. You know, become informed. We've seen some absolutely amazing things personally and with our customers. Obviously, you know, the onus, if you will, is on each individual to, to go out there and, and do the kind of research to see if it may be a fit for the kind of things that they're experiencing. Also, you know, check out our website, which has a ton of additional information as well. And that website is? It's www.imbuecbd.com. That's www.imbuecbd.com. Now, you mentioned the FDA, and just before we taped this interview, there was a news story where the FDA put out a warning and sent letters to, I think, 15 different CBD companies. Yours was not one of them. It was perceived as the FDA basically, I don't know, seemed to be like backing away a little bit from CBD. What was your interpretation of what the FDA did and and how should our listeners interpret it? That's an extremely good question as well, John. And I think first and foremost is what the FDA is doing, especially when they're sending out letters to companies that they send letters out to, is doing their job. Their job is to really protect the American public from, you know, basically, you know, drugs that shouldn't be there, that are doing what they're supposed to do, that can cause harm, and also making sure that companies are doing what they're supposed to do. In in the case of these letters, these companies were making health claims simply because of how FDA operates and and the way that, uh, you know, CBD, which is basically a kind of a a brand new uh, thing for FDA, they're not allowed to make. You know, I'm glad that they're doing that. You know, we never make claims uh, at Imbue Botanicals. That's something that, that is, again, is, it goes back to the customer to do a lot of their own research on. They also came out with some basic overviews and essentially said you should really know what you're doing before you take CBD. It's not necessarily something you should be taking in water and in food products. You should basically get the kind of information that you need and talk to your healthcare team, your physician, your pharmacist, your, your veterinarian to make sure that there's a medical professional, you know, kind of assisting in the process. Now, in my experience, having used the product and seen the packaging and everything, you guys are totally first class, but first class comes with some expense. You guys are a little bit more expensive than your competitors. Tell us, tell us why you bring more value. We are more expensive than some folks, and 
certainly not more expensive than others, but uh, but we're we are a higher price product, and the reason for that is, is where we grow, how we extract, how we formulate our products. We do that for maximum effectiveness, and you know what our folks tell us, and whether they're the pharmacies that we sell to or the customers that use our product, their patients who use our product every day, they tell us that the product works and works better than things that uh, other products that they bought. It's more expensive to do it correctly, but ultimately that's obviously what customers want. If you're going to spend the money, they want something that works, and that's what our products do. So, Tom, if our listeners want to buy your products and, or learn more about them, where should they go? Go to our website. It's www dot imbu cbd that's www.imb as in boy uecbd.com imbucbd.com tom thanks so much for your time and your sponsorship john thank you thanks for what you're doing appreciate it so as i referenced earlier donald trump's approval ratings have not suffered at all because of the coronavirus crisis in fact the evidence is now mounting that his approval ratings are improving Gallup came out with a stunning poll yesterday that 60 percent, 60 percent of Americans approve of how Donald Trump is handling the coronavirus crisis. Correct. And even I, I mean, I've been as cynical as anybody. I've said this a hundred times in this podcast, in the first 96 episodes of the Individual One podcast, that almost nothing he does can impact his base. But this is way beyond his base. His base is 43, 44, 45 percent. 60 percent, that includes a lot of independents and Democrats who are approving of the way he's handling his, his job as president regarding the coronavirus crisis and his overall approval rating is the highest it's been i think in the history of his presidency via gallup it's now at 49 percent now that's way too high to have been simply a sampling error and it backs up an abc poll from last week that showed that his approval on the virus crisis was 55 percent um i've been warning democrats about all the power you're going to give him to fix the world and that, you know, and, and there's going to be benefits to that. I mean, he's going to I, I can't imagine his approval rating will go down much uh, when, when he's going to get credit for giving each and every American twelve hundred dollars uh, who, who uh, qualify for this over the next couple of weeks. Now, there are other people when once they get their their uh, statements from their 401ks and there are IRAs at the end of the quarter, which will happen in early April, that are going to go, wow, OK, this has really been damaging. But, you know, the stock market, while it's been disastrous, if it continues anything like what it's currently doing, who knows, even that might not be that bad. So, you know, I'm having to reevaluate all of my assumptions and presumptions about where this is going. I, I understand that that Trump is in a bad spot here. But the path for him escaping might be even larger than I thought. And I've been saying for the last couple of weeks, there is a path here. I just thought it was fading. Uh, you know, look, there, he's also created a situation, and this is one of the political aspects of his second pivot that I find to be the most precarious for him, is if we do go back to business, and he declares we're back in business in early April, he's now creating the narrative that he owns, he owns almost all the deaths going forward. Correct. And and that that's going to be very difficult, especially if this doesn't go away for several months or maybe even ever, because the media will pound that and pound that and pound that. And so 
I do think in the long run, I mean, Joe Biden is going to be able to ask him the Ronald Reagan question, uh, which is, are you better off than you were four years ago? And no one's going to be able to, except his, his cult base, is going to be able to say yes. Uh, but it is obvious that the American people are giving Trump an enormous amount of leeway here, even more than I thought. I mean, I, I always believed that if their lives are going to be negatively impacted, that even some of his base, at least the soft portion of his base, was going to leave him. And that has not happened. And in fact, the opposite has occurred, where uh, some independents and Democrats are at least temporarily rallying around Trump. I, I'm, not, I'm not saying this is going to ha- continue up until Election Day, uh, but it's startling. And uh, it is it is important to not discount the fact that he could still escape this almost no matter what happens. I mean, I've always presumed that for him to escape, that the coronavirus impact had to be less than the rest of the world. Uh, I'm not even 100 percent sure of that anymore. I mean, I guess what's happened here is because everyone in the world is impacted by this. A lot of Americans are just saying, you know what, this is not Trump's fault. There's nothing he could do about it. I, I, I do believe, though, if our cases are more than anyone else's in the world and we're getting thousands and thousands of deaths, which is a very likely scenario, that eventually that's going to have a take a major, major toll on uh, on Trump's approval and on his reelection chances. We're just not seeing that now. And that certainly is in the pipeline. There's almost no way to avoid that now. So with all that said, I'm going to essentially keep uh, the the chances of his reelection largely uh, static at 30 percent. Uh, it's very, very volatile, as is everything else in the world right now. But I'm going to say 30 percent as of now. And uh, and I think we do. I think we will know more. I keep saying this. I think we will know a lot more in the next week or two as we start to get better and better data on where we really are and really heading on the coronavirus. Until our next episode, which we hope will be on Sunday, assuming we're still able to broadcast. Uh, thankfully, uh, both of our broadcast outlets have been able to uh, accommodate us uh, as of right now, but that can change on a moment-to-moment basis. So uh, until then, please make sure you stay safe. Uh, please subscribe, rate, review, and share this uh, podcast via social media and follow us on Twitter at individual1pod. Until then, my name is John Ziegler. This is the Global Story Network.